This is Game On, discussing the biggest games and all the latest sports news with Johnny Montabano and Hank and Dichter on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. It's showtime, folks. It's episode 52 of Game On here on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. I'm Johnny Montebond. Hank, good to see you, my friend. How you doing? Well, I'm afraid to ask you how you doing, but how are you doing? Uh, I mean, I think I'm okay. I mean, I'm alive. I'm sitting in my cap on the chair in my basement. I'm talking sports with you. I mean, I'm on episode 52 of Game On. Oh, who am I kidding? I'm extremely disappointed and let down by the New York Rangers again. But that is a rant that you will hear from me later on the show. And boy, am I going to have to sharpen that axe. Stay tuned, folks. We're going to be on Hank Rant Alert. And that'll be coming up later on in the episode. But it is good to see you, Hank. And, yeah, we definitely still have a lot to get to. Johnny, over fair warning, I have multiple rants. There's been a lot of things driving me nuts this past week. Yeah, I can Not tell you firsthand. boys in blue on skates. Yeah, I can tell you firsthand when we were setting up to prep for the show, that was a, a warning for sure. But, yeah, we will get to that and so much more here over the course of the episode. But it is good to see you, Hank, here as uh, we begin the month of May. And, you know, like another life, month. Brother. Yep. Another month, another major amount of sports stuff to discuss. And folks, we want to hear from you as well. So several ways for you to get aboard. Follow us across our social media platforms. We're on Facebook and Twitter at GameOnETB. We're on Instagram at GameOn underscore ETB. Uh, Of course, check out our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash ETB Network, where if you like today's episode, leave us a like. If you're new, hit that subscribe button. And as always, have your notifications set so you know when all of our programming is going to be out there. Not only us here at GameOn, but NBA Outsiders. Fruity cereal, all that fine stuff here over the uh, on the Empty the Bench podcast network and our personal handle scrolling on the bottom of your screen there, and of course right below our namesake as well. As I said, a lot to get to over the course of the show here today, folks. We're going to get to those Rangers and the Stanley Cup playoffs, which have just been, you know, the Stanley Cup and the NBA have been absolutely incredible, upsetting, all that any adjective you want to use. So we're going to get to the NBA, we're going to get to the NHL, but. Hank, we have to get it going here with the football, the NFL draft, which we were on the air for four and a half hours last Thursday, uh, was truly incredible. You know, we're going to get into all the draft stuff here, but when we started last Thursday, I had two things I was looking forward to seeing, and that was, number one, who were the Carolina Panthers going to take at number one? Because all the top, all the talk over the last six weeks or so leading into Thursday night was who who would be Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. Even Anthony Richardson's name had come along. There was even a story from uh, Pro Football Talk at Mike Florio that there was even a possibility of Will Levis being drafted at number one. So that was topic number one. Number two, the the Arizona Cardinals with the third overall pick, what were they going to do with it? Now, again, a situation where we heard a lot of stories, a lot of reports, including the day of, that they were actively shopping that third pick. And I don't think it was a surprise that they ended up trading that pick, but it was who 
got that third pick. To who? And that was the Houston Tech number two. So they ended up with the second and third picks, which, by the way, fun fact, that is only three times. There's only the third time that a team had two out of the first three picks uh, to themselves. And it's very difficult to do. So you see why it's such a rare thing. But we'll go through the whole draft order and anything. But at the end of the day, you see that Bryce Young from Alabama at number one. C.J. Stroud goes to Houston at two. The Texans trade up to get Will Anderson from Bama at number three. And Anthony Richardson at four. And so many other things to talk about. But, Hank, when you look at this draft, which you were on with us for a little bit on Thursday, what is your overall thoughts and going through the draft in general, who were your big winners and losers of draft weekend? Um, So for the biggest winners and losers, I would say it's simply this. There are the teams from the Keystone State. There are plenty of other teams in the mid background that had solid if unspectacular drafts and then there's 50 feet of crap to paraphrase what billy bean said in moneyball and then you've got teams like the jets you've got teams like the falcons and good lord the detroit lions boy they dan campbell I loved you. I thought you were you were doing a good job changing the culture. What happened, buddy? Why on earth would you take a running back when you already splurged on David Montgomery, who I don't even think was that good of an acquisition, but that's neither here nor there, and when you had DeAndre, DeAndre Swift? And to top it all off, you trade DeAndre Swift to the Philadelphia Eagles for basically a big bag of Doritos. And not to mention the Jack Campbell pick was bad. And didn't they take a tight end later on that also looked really bad or something like that? I believe so. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Let me, let me continue my rant for a bit. Yeah. First one of many Atlanta Falcons. Bijan Robinson with the eight pick. Really? Why? Why on earth would you take a running back that high? If you're going to do so, he would be, he had better be either Adrian Peterson, Walter Payton, Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders, or the greatest of all time, Jim Brown. Honey Bijan Mustard Robinson is nowhere close to either of those guys. And I, they, I, I, I don't know what they're doing here. And um, as far as uh, um, the Jets go, I mean, look, it's bad enough that you, you know, kind of uh, bet the farm on uh, geriatric Aaron Rodgers, but then you took Will McDonald with that first round pick. Really? However, that's enough of my bashing. I'll get to the Jets a little bit later. Let's talk about the two Pennsylvania teams. Omar, there's a reason why my buddy Dom, who I went to college with, he's a big Steelers fan. There's a reason why he has a new name for the Pittsburgh Steelers GM. And you want to know what that name is? 
Omar the con artist. Because he made an incredible trade to get that tight end. He took the offensive tackle from Wisconsin. And then Joey Porter Jr. was somehow available. Incredible. Excellent work. And um, then we go to the Philadelphia Eagles. And oh my gosh. What a haul they got. You took Jalen Carter, who, now, don't get me wrong, I understand that Jalen Carter has had his issues. I get it. But, look at that defensive line. That very well might be the uh, Reggie White and Jerome Brown 2.0, what they just did there. And you took Nolan Smith, too, another Georgia guy? That is mad smart. And, Johnny, you know I've told you many times that Georgia is pretty much a factory when it comes to football talent. No? Especially on the defensive end. A defensive side, yep. The uh, the Kelly, Kelly Ringo in the fourth round? What? Somehow that guy was available, yet... um. Who was it that took Weatherspoon at number five? The guy from uh, that would Illinois. that would be Seattle, Devin Weatherspoon. Yeah, from the film that I've watched and and what I've researched, I'm sorry, I think Ringo might be even better than Witherspoon. I I know that might sound like a reach, but I'm sorry. Look at the program that he's in. Georgia produces a lot of these insane athletes. He absolutely ran circles in this draft. And I, I don't even think he made a mistake. And like I said, you basically traded a bag of chips for DeAndre Swift. Yeah. Uh, like I, mean, I, Johnny, I am absolutely terrified to have to face this team twice. But can I also talk about the Giants real quick? Yeah, because, absolutely. Because I want to bring them up as well. I thought Joe Shane did a good job, and I have to give him credit where credit is due. Would um, would Deontay Banks have been um, would Deontay Banks have necessarily been my first short choice at cornerback? Not necessarily, but at the same time, if you look on film on him, he's a guy that I think could very well improve their secondary. And if you really paid attention to the Giants and the draft boards. It seemed to me like he was a guy that they were really high on. It seems to me like that's a guy who can really fit Wink Martindale's system. And it seems to me that they really never had any interest in Joey Porter Jr. too, because I don't think he really fit their scheme. And I think you really need to factor that in when you're going to take a cornerback in the first round. So honestly, I think that's a, that's a good pick. John Michael Schmitz, the center from Minnesota, that's an absolute steal and I lo- I lo- the fact that he has a wrestling background, I actually really like that because that matters more than you really think. It shows you how really strong they are. Yeah. And taking Jalen Hyatt, too. Again, are you kidding me? You got that guy in the third round. And I also think Eric Gray was another solid under the radar pick. I think if you have him and Saquon complimenting each other, I think this is definitely an improved Giants roster. For sure. So I 
followed Jalen Hyland a lot watching Tennessee last season. And mm-hmm. you know, I follow a lot of these guys because I love watching college football. But sure. You know, so the Banks move, the, the the first guy I really wanted for the Giants, if he was there, was, was the kid from USC, uh, Addison. But he went to Minnesota. But when he wasn't there, and I thought it was kind of interesting that and we were on at the time with the Giants trading up one, you know, giving up three picks slot up uh with with Jacksonville to get Deontay Banks I like him a lot you know he's he's somebody the Giants needed in the secondary he's fast which is also something that you really need especially with a secondary player especially with these kind of the way that the NFL's played now so solid pickup from the Giants there in the first round and then Jalen Hyatt the fact that he was still out there that late and you saw the Giants traded up again to for that I love it. I, I watched Jalen Hyatt a lot there in Tennessee, and he is a very good receiver. So I like him a lot. I think another very solid pickup. And let's also remember, too, last season with who the Giants drafted and when they did. Remember, uh, you know, Robinson, the, the, the kid from Michigan in the second round last year, who um, Wandell Robinson, um, you know, people didn't like the move at first. They were kind of questioning it. He actually played really well up until the time when he got hurt. Uh, Dan Bellinger, the tight end, was a fourth-round pick, if I remember correctly. And mm-hmm. he flourished last year. He was fantastic. And now you have him to go along with with Waller. So I think the Giants did have a solid draft. Now, as far as my winners and losers go, I think you and I are kind of sharing a brain here. Because what Philadelphia was able to do, and I said this in real time, the fact that they moved up the ninth spot ahead of Chicago. And you knew when they made that move, that was for Jalen Carter. I mean, there was there. You knew that when they made that move, you said, "All right, you you knew that was going to be the case because it looked like that's who the Bears were targeting." But the Eagles moved up to get him, and then later on, the trade for Swift to pretty much a solid pickup. Swift was a pretty good player there in Detroit last season. Now he was he wasn't getting really a bulk of the carries. There was really more Jamal Williams, who they lost in the offseason to the Saints. And that's where the interesting one of the interesting things with the Lions are now that they don't have Swift and they don't have Williams anymore, and they were, they replaced him with getting Gibbs from Alabama at twelve, which I think was a reach. But you have that, and also remember the Lions are going to be down four guys to start the season because of the gambling policy, because of the gambling suspension. So yeah, I think the the Lions. I'm not exactly sure what they're doing. I think really they'd be if. Jared Goff can duplicate what he did last season because they still definitely do have, they still do have enough talent. I mean, I still think they have one of the best connections in football to Amon Ross St. Brown. So I still think they could do that. Now the fact that the, uh, now that the Packers are going to be basically in rebuild mode now post Aaron Rodgers, I think helps too. Uh, but yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, Steelers, I mean, moving up to 14 to get that offensive tackle was great. Broderick Smart. Jones, by the way, is his name. I was, Broderick, I was blanking on his name before. Yeah, that. Broderick Jones. Yep, the offensive tackle. Smart and then, again. can I also bring up this fact about the Joey Porter trade? This mm-hmm. was essentially the pick that they got in the Chase Claypool trade. And I'm sorry, but if you're Chicago, that trade just keeps on getting worse and worse by the day. Yeah. Like and and like I said, I still don't know how on earth Joey Porter was even still available at at, at round 2. I thought for sure he was going to be gone by by the end of day 1. 
Yeah, no, that's that's all true. A couple of other names that we had mentioned on draft night that got taken uh, later on. Also, Darnell Washington. I'm sorry, I sorry to cut you off. That's no, that's fine. Darnell Washington, tight end from Georgia. Yep, and again, another Georgia guy. And you got him in round four. Yeah. Again, the con artist. Now let me play one devil's advocate. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on two things. I like the fact that the Lions drafted Hendon Hooker mm-hmm. to be behind Jared Goff because two names that we brought that I had brought up a lot during the draft show on Thursday night were Hen- were Hendon Hooker and Will Levis. To me, guys that I were to me were not going to start week one. They're still coming back from the twenty ACL, even though they say he's, he could be ready by week one. I think it's a solid guy to have as backup behind Jared Goff there in Detroit. And then Will Levis did get traded up. The Titans did trade up to get him over the weekend. Again, I think not a bad fit there in Tennessee behind Tannehill. Again, we don't really know how many more days Tannehill is going to have down there. So I think to, to, to be behind him, I think is solid there from Tennessee's side. We also saw that Stetson Bennett, a name that had been discussed a lot in the offseason, who won the national championship with Georgia. Uh, the Rams ended up taking him with like, we saw that Max Duggan from TCU got taken very late. So those were all the other quarterbacks. But yeah, all, all in all, at the end of the day, that's, I think you and I are kind of sharing a brain on that. Now, as far as the Jets go, because they were another team talked about a lot because of the whole Aaron Rodgers thing, I actually didn't mind them not being who they got there at 15, which was Will McDonald, the edge from Iowa State, because that's just the case of the Jets once again continuing to shore up their defense. And one of the things if you you did not want to see the Jets do at 15, and I said this at the sh- on the show Thursday night, is you did not want them to reach. And to me, mm-hmm. age of Lyman. Now, maybe you could you could be you could put the whole you know um, conspiracy that. Bill Belichick wanted to stick it to the Jets again by allowing the Steelers to trade up at 14 and get Broderick Jones. But at the end of the day, I think the Jets did the smart thing by getting the edge and then addressing needs later on. We also saw them get uh, Billy Turner, former uh, offensive lineman with the Packers and with Nathaniel Hackett there in Denver. So that's a pickup they could get. But I mean, the, the, the team for the Jets is pretty much there. As long as their offensive line is there, let's have a chance to be playoff bound. I just think the biggest question mark with them is going to be, can Aaron Rodgers adjust to the AFC East? Because everybody's thinking that's a lock, and I'm not ready to go there just yet. Especially when you look at their schedule, which it looks like is going to be, from all reports, next Thursday, February I mean, uh, 11th is going to be when the schedule is going to be released. And the Jets have a very challenging schedule, at least on paper with the teams they're facing. So, But even so, can Aaron Rodgers give them two to three more wins? It's certainly possible. But I just don't know. You know, he had a very favorable route there in Green Bay, not taking anything away. But now he has to do this in a very challenging, not only division, but conference there in the AFC. So that's what I would say regarding the Jets pick there at 15. And the Lions, I mean, I like them with Hendon Hooker. Some of the things are questionable, but... Now the green now the Green Bay really is not that much of a factor. The Bears are still rebuilding. I they could still be that second potentially that second best team there in the NFC North. It just pains me though because the Eagles definitely you know there were some question marks of them. You know they lost some coordinators, they lost some defensive players. Miles Sanders went to Carolina, and at 
you know, they replaced how they were able to replace them. It's just give how, you know, I can't stand him, but I got to get Howie Roseman there and credit because what he's able to do there is quite remarkable. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think the Eagles, if the Eagles don't go back to the Super Bowl, and I'm I'm being dead serious right here. This is coming from a hardcore Giants fan who has hated the Eagles for as long as he can remember and was in attendance when Deshaun Jackson did. You know what? We don't talk about that. Yeah. Um, if the Eagles don't return to the Super Bowl, something went horribly wrong. Well, you never I'm, you never know. Injuries, I, I, I know, I know it's a little too early, but trust me. With all the talent that's on the roster, with the fact that they were still able to improve their roster, the fact that they were able to fleece the Lions out of DeAndre Swift, with the fact that they had such an excellent draft and have a defensive line that's probably going to be just as good as it was a year ago. Johnny, I I, I would be... And, and like I said, name me a better quarterback in the NFC than Jalen Hurts. I, I cannot tell you right now there is one because whoever else is there is not really proven. I don't think Kirk Cousins is, even though he's probably got a better connection with Justin Jefferson. Like Brock I just Purdy said, hasn't done Kirk it consistently enough. So no, there really isn't anybody. Like I just said, Kirk Cousins mid. Yeah, but so I, mean, I, I division, though. No, I, I I don't I don't I don't see it. I think what helps, Hank, you know what helps too with Philadelphia? One other thing there with Hertz, the contract is so favorable because there's not any major cap hits early on in that deal. So that's really good. Dallas, to me, I don't think did anything to really like say that they're ready to take the next step. Oh, it's not that much. If you think about it, we could sit here right now. And again, this is only May, but we could sit here right now and say that the Giants could potentially be the second best team in the NFC East. That, in my opinion, is not a reach at all. I think they, if it wasn't for the Philadelphia Eagles, I would probably be, like, talking about praising the Giants a lot. But, again, I'm not complaining about what Joe Shane did in this draft. I really liked what he did with the first three picks. Getting getting a ba- getting um, Banks, getting, getting that center from Minnesota, and... T- Shout out to my buddy Moshman, who's a big Minnesota Gophers fan. He was yeah. pretty excited about that. And then obviously getting Hyatt. That yeah. that's a win. I, Even, I, it may not have been they may have he not have necessarily gotten the best players, but I think they'll they fit the roster pretty well. That's it's a huge victory. Right. And you want to know what's funny? I gotta give Tom a bit of a shout out because he made a video before the draft saying that Banks would be a perfect fit. So yeah. From Big Blue Avenue, of course. I'm Absolutely. Yeah, solid stuff there. I was following him all along. We were we were messaging back and forth on draft night. And, you know, I went out Friday night, and they had the draft on the board. Somebody came up to me and said, you know, the Giants are ready to pick here in the third round. And when I saw Jalen Hyatt's name picked, I could not believe he was actually still out there. And I, I love the kid. I mean, and remember, the Giants hit on their second, third, and fourth round guys last season. So if they do that again this year, then there's no question they could they could go back to where they were last season for sure. Because, you know, where they – most last year, no. Were they the best coach team of anybody in the league last year? I'd say absolutely, right at the top. And the one other team I want to focus on before we we, we move on 
is Carolina because, you know, there was a lot of talk with them either taking Bryce Young or possibly C.J. Stroud or even Anthony Richardson's name coming up. But Young, which is, I think is a very is still very solid. I think Bright, I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna do all right. But you look at Young if if he starts Week One and if he does what they're projecting him to do, you look at that roster and you look at the talent that's there, and you look at the rest of that division. It is not a reach to say that the Carolina Panthers could be winning the NFC South next season, because I to me Atlanta's still rebuild. Right, because Atlanta's still in rebuild mode, and we don't know what they're doing with Bijan Robinson when they had great running back play last year. We don't know about the Saints are the wild card in all this because, I, like I said, they did bring in Jamal Williams. They do have Alan Kamara. They do have Chris Olave, who they drafted last year. But what are the Saints really? I mean, they could be a nine win team. They could be a six win team. And the Bucks, I just don't trust Baker Mayfield. I mean, I know he's going to be out there on the revenge tour, but I just don't trust Baker Mayfield mm. down there in in, in Tampa. So if if everybody plays their cards right, and they did bring in Frank Reich, remember too, to be the head coach, I That's think Carolina is it's Carolina is on track to win the NFC South next season. Especially this is a team that was playing for that possibility into Week 17 last year, and, and they can improved, I and they, they that? improved that roster offensively, uh, defensively. The makings are there for Carolina as long as the pieces come together. Can I also piggyback off of that? Yeah. Are we really sure that the Bears won that trade for the number one pick? Well, when you look at it, I mean, DJ Moore is there, but the fact that they also then took that pick and then traded down again, and forgive me for forgetting who they took at 10, it was Darnell Wright, the offensive tackle from Tennessee. So yes. protection for 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 Justin Fields, which I think is very very, very important. Um, no, I, I don't think you're crazy to say that. I, I mean, you can make the case that both teams won that trade, but because if Carolina gets their franchise QB out of this, if if, if Bryce Young is the real deal, if he if he does help them out, then it's a winner for them because that's been their missing piece both teams winning did they though well it depends if 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 bryce young's the answer then absolutely yeah no i i i'm 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 going against the grain i honestly the more i really think about it i really think carolina won that trade Mm -hmm. i really do Mm -hmm. and I don't know chicago really didn't get that much compared to like other trades for number one Honestly, if you really look back at it, look at that compared to the RG3 trade. Or even you want to, I'll tell you even too, look at what happened with the Texans trading up to three with the Cardinals. Which, by the way, brings me to my next point. Yeah. I have a feeling Ryan Poles is going to be an, out of a job within the next few years. Because I'm sorry, I... I mentioned this trade as being as uh, saying that the Panthers probably won this. Remember, this is the same guy that practically traded, got Chase Claypool, and gave up what turned out to be Joey Porter Jr. Yeah, and not to mention, uh, he gave up Roquan. He gave Roquan Smith to the Ravens 
for practically a bag of chips. We have a couple defensive players there last year. Yikes. That's not good. Yeah. And but, or Justin Fields. That's all I got to say. Oh, well, I mean, they believe in Fields, though. No, they do. I think he's talented, but he's, what do I always say? Teams matter when it comes to the NFL draft. Yep. Well, now I he's mean, got two receivers there. Imagine, because like I say, I, I often say, and Nick could probably vouch for me on this too. What if the Jets had taken Josh Allen and or Patrick Holmes? Would they necessarily be successful? I don't know. Don't know. It's, it's you know, you can't really compare compare the two. And by contrast, I could see, I could easily see Sam Darnold improving should he get a shot in San Francisco. Like, there's a reason you know, people were high on him beforehand, and you put him in a Kyle Shanahan offense, they could be sneaky good if you have Sam Darnold. Like, I know that sounds like a crazy take, but... It's not crazy. Look what he did in Carolina. Yeah. Didn't commit any mistakes. I mean, he had a couple of gaffes in Week 17 against the Bucks, but... He didn't make any mistakes, and Carolina passed the test and survived to Week 17. And he may have to start there in, week, uh, in San Francisco because we don't know if Brock Party's going to be ready to start the year. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and the one. And the what team, about Trey Lance? We don't know Trey what Trey Lance, Lance could be anything. He could even be a mystery box. That's right, he can be. We're gonna have to get that as a sound effect by next football season. Uh, a sound bite, but. Yeah, I agree. I that is that's all fair. And you know what? They may need Sam Donald to start there in San Francisco, the start of the year because we don't know if if uh, he's going to have to start there. Mm-hmm. Because we don't know if Mr. Purdy's going to be ready for the start of the season, especially with how late he had his elbow surgery. So, you know, at the, ultimately though, we talk about that on the field, and we will. Three months we'll have preseason. Four months we'll have the start of the regular season. You know, the one other thing I'll mention with this too was, and I know we don't really have a graphic for it, but, you know, the the talk about Lamar Jackson on draft day signs that massive contract with the Ravens. They extend him. He announces it on his social media. And my thought was if they – this was really the last straw for the Ravens side because if they offered him this deal and he said no – my gut tells me that they would have tra- traded him on draft night. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So, Lamar gets that huge, massive deal. Now he, is, for now, he is the highest-paid quarterback. So, yes, Jalen Jalen hurts uh, his title, uh, crowning him the highest-paid in the league, lasted about a little over a week, and now it's now Lamar. And eventually it'll probably, it'll be, not probably, it'll be Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert because they're going to be next. Well, I'm just going to say this too with regards to Lamar Jackson. Are we sure I was crazy for thinking that the Giants did the right thing by giving Daniel Jones that contract? You know, Johnny, I think you know this. Nick knows this too. I am not that high on Lamar Jackson whatsoever. I felt that he peaked in 2019. And I think he was propped up by the Jim Harbaugh 
Greg Roman coaching tandem. And now Greg Roman's no longer with the Ravens coaching staff. And people somehow thought that that guy was a problem. Haven't you learned, haven't you learned that wasn't exactly the case in San Francisco when he propped up uh, Colin Kaepernick and now you're paying him all this money. And this is a guy that for the past two years has been M I a health wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've been on record as saying this, you know what you could look at his first few years and you can take, you can definitely bring that into account, but you cannot overlook the last two years either. You know, you can look, you can look at both things, but you know, he's going to be out there to prove it. And, and you know what, if you're hardball, you better hope this work giving all that money to Lamar, giving that all that money to Lamar, giving all that money for one year to OBJ. I mean, I, I get they, they drafted flowers, but you know, the wide receiver from Boston college, Zay flowers, but, and I know they brought in Nelson Aguilar, but if this doesn't work, then Harbaugh is going to be out of a job too. And then Lamar is going to have to learn another, a totally different system in a division that's still got the Bengals, still has the Steelers who were very sneaky last year. And you can make the case that they got better and still has the Browns who could every now and then spoil somebody. This was really, this was desperation, an act of desperation at its most, at its purest form. And as far as, you know, we talked about with with Daniel Jones, the Giants handled that the right way, 100%. Him and Saquon. And if Saquon doesn't re- want to report, it's his loss. And, he and needs the Giants. The Giants don't need him. And like I said, I really like the fifth-round running back pick the Giants made. Yeah. And, you know, I, like – are we really sure losing Saquon would losing Saquon really be the worst thing in the world? No, and it and it and it pains me to say that, but it really is not. It pains me to see that say that too because I like the guy. He he's an incredible athlete and you know just good all around team player. But like at, at the same time, you know what I've said about running backs. Be careful who you invest in. And I'm not saying running backs can't help you win games. Believe me, there there have been moments where you've needed a really good running back performance to win. But at the same time, this isn't the 90s anymore where you could you could rely on a strong running game to win games. This is a quarterback's league. The time as uh Bob Dylan said, the times they are changing. Sure. I mean, you do still need though to balance your the quarterback play and your running backs. I mean, even the Kansas city chiefs this year, when they won the Super Bowl, had enough running back play to be successful. Hank, I found this. How many teams within the last decade have won in the Super Bowl with a star running back, a star running back, not many zero. Yeah. I've said this, I've thrown this proposal out too. If the giants get rid of Barkley or if he does not want to play, I'm calling up Zeke, bringing him in for one year. What's the risk? One year? Feed Zeke, right? I mean, I don't need. I don't need. I don't need to match the production from Barkley. I just need enough production. 
Mm-hmm. The Giants system, the Giants system can flourish with just enough running back play. They don't need total running back play. They just need enough of it. So I agree. That's what we'll find out here at, in the next couple of uh, in the next couple of, of months. But just a very fun draft, a very interesting draft, you know. And we'll find out now how all these players produce as we start getting closer with OTAs and training camps. And then before you know it, you know, preseason football, the Jets and the Browns open up Hall of Fame game in three months. And then before you know it, we're back at it again with another football season. But that's for down the road. We want to get the winter sports done with first. And that's what we're going to transition into next. And we're going to save Hank's hockey rants for just a little bit here because we're going to get, we're, we're going to transition to the NBA, which, you know, just like the Stanley Cup playoffs, have had upsets, have had a little bit of everything. I mean, if you think about it, Hank, here we are sitting with an eight seed beating a one seed, which is extremely rare in the NBA. You know, in hockey, that happens. You know, because it's more likely to happen in hockey, but in the NBA. But you look at the Miami Heat, what they've done, you know, with Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry getting past Giannis and the, and the Bucks, which I don't think many of us saw coming. Now, that being said to me, and I say this as a Knicks fan because as the Knicks are pl- in the process of playing the Heat right now, and we saw that in, in we saw it on Sunday afternoon. To me, Hank, the Miami Heat are an eighth seed in number only. This is a this is actually a very dangerous team. And remember, they had a they had to win a playing game to get to this point, and then they took care of the Bucks, you know, pretty pretty handily. And second half of the of the of game one, I mean, with a banged up. Jimmy Butler, you know, you saw the likes of like Kyle Lowry and everybody step up in a big way. And mm-hmm. the Knicks could not hit a shot in the second half of the game. Uh, you know, Jalen Brunson was off pretty much the entire game. And I and I appreciate the fact that after the game, you know, he shows leadership and, and admits that, you know, he did not play well. Of course, now you find out that he's a little bit banged up along with uh, – Julius Randle. The other thing, too, is besides the fact that Knicks were not hitting the shots, Hank, you know, if you go back and look at game one, I think you have to have a bigger rotation than just eight players. I think you've got it. You've got to get more guys involved here if you're the Knicks. I mean, otherwise, these guys are going to start getting exposed because for most of them, this is kind of uncharted territory. Yeah, absolutely. And with regards to the Miami Heat, can I piggyback off what you're saying about them being an eight seed and name only? That Miami Heat team has a bit of a 2007 Warriors-like feel to me, if you know what I mean. Remember how they were an eight seed, but that was a really loaded Western Conference, and they probably would have been like right in the middle in any other year. I think people underestimate the Miami Heat because you don't realize that Jimmy Butler is the type of guy that always elevates his game come playoff time, and... You know, it, it makes sense that he would go off with the 56-point game and then, what do you have, 42 in the closing game of that Milwaukee series? And even when he's hurt, he's the type of player that they say, you know, you got to beware of a wounded animal. And wounded animals are dangerous, and that's certainly the case with Jimmy Butler. And look, I'm no Miami Heat fan, but I've always been an admirer of his game, so to speak. So I... This, uh, this is—he's the reason why the Miami Heat scare me. 
I agree. And also, you know, Miami's been through this too before. You know, Kyle Lowry is also a nice addition to go along with that team. Yeah, Miami scares me. And, you know, if you're the Knicks here, I mean, you you got you need Julius Randle healthy. You need Jalen Brunson to be making his shots. I mean, if you cannot survive both of them, it'd be all right. I mean, if the thing is with the Knicks, I like the fact that they're actually pretty deep, and that's one of the reasons why I actually gave them a good chance, and I actually was pretty comfortable with them playing the Cavs, was I think they're a deeper team than – they were a deeper team than Cleveland. I kind of think to a degree they can be deeper than Miami. But if your star players are not going to – that's a tall order for everybody else. And now you start – and again, this is second round. Don't get me wrong. This has been a successful season. If the Knicks get swept by by Miami, to me, it's been a successful year. Mm-hmm. Because now you've got your guy in, in Brunson. You've got that guard that you have been looking for for the last 20 to 30 years. He's there. Mm-hmm. You know, you've – R.J. Barrett, who had a tough regular season, has stepped up in the last couple of weeks of the season into the postseason. He's been great. You know, you've got Toppin. You've got Quigley. You've got uh, Josh Hart, a very under-the-radar trade deadline pickup, and he has flourished. I mean, he's been fantastic. Played 47 minutes in the clinching game against Cleveland. Mitchell Robinson, very solid player, especially on the defensive glass. So the pieces are there. That's why I wasn't in love with going after Mitchell because I would have had to give up valuable players to get a Donovan Mitchell, not knocking Mitchell. But let's also remember, too, Mitchell didn't really play that great in the closing games against against the Knicks. So the Knicks held him in check, and we'll see if they can do this here against against Miami. I mean, that, that game one, though, was just – it was tough because, you know, you, you come off – a very good first half, and then the second half, it was pretty much all Miami. You couldn't make a shot. Miami was able to make theirs, and even dealing with a banged-up uh, Butler, and they stole game one at, at MSG, which is, you know, the makings of a good team. You win one game on the road and take home court advantage. So we'll find out where the Knicks can do Tuesday. Game three, not until Saturday. So a little bit of a rest period there. But to go over some unbelievable feats in the opening round, and we talk about how great these uh, NBA playoffs have been, uh, Hank, you've got to talk about Steph Curry. I mean, oh what, my gosh, he right? was fantastic. I mean, what, now, this is the thing I said about this series against the Sacramento Kings. Now, did did Golden State catch a break? I guess you could say that with the De'Aaron Fox injury, but at the same time, when you look at this series, and if this got later on, this was a case of a young, inexperienced team. Even though with the coach of the year, Mike Brown, and the Sacramento Kings. Facing a squad in Golden State that's been down this road time and time again. And, you know, with Curry, with Draymond Green, with uh, Thompson. I mean, they've been down this road before, Steve Curry coaching. And what Steph Curry's able to do is put together one of the best performances in NBA playoff history with a 50-burger in Game 7 as the Warriors actually were able to do something that they had a very tough time during the regular season, and that was win a game on the road. Well, guess what? That's why you throw out the regular season stuff. Yeah, even in the NBA you can do that. But this and year... by the way, can I give you a fun fact about Steph Curry's performance? Yeah, go for it. Only two players in NBA history have scored 200 points in a seven-game series at age 35 or older. Steph Curry and Michael Jordan. That's it. That's the list. Wow. That's, that is something. 
And it's yet another signature performance in his already impressive career. And this is another game where you could probably elevate his spot if you were to make, say, a pyramid a la Bill Simmons, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I would probably, in in my personal opinion, I think Steph Curry might actually be in my top 10 with regards to pyramids. I mean, generally speaking, you know, I don't really like comparing like the greatness of a lot of players just because like, I feel like every, every legend was great in their own way, but I would definitely say that Steph Curry is in my top 10 because he look how much he's elevated the Warriors and look at how he's revolutionized the NBA with his three point shooting prowess. Well, it's, it's so funny. You just said that because I was going to say, if you want to talk about putting him on a list of the most influential players in NBA history, Curry is going to be, and this is not a reach, he is going to be in the top 10 because he has changed oh, the way the NBA has no played. Now, you want to tell me that this was really more of the Suns with Mike D'Antoni? Maybe. But Steph Curry's the way he shoots the ball and, the, and his accuracy and stuff and some of these you know, unbelievable shots that he, he gets off, something that we don't ever see. And it's just it's changed the game because now you see all these these teams hoisting threes like it's nothing, and that really is a product of Curry. And you could say that's a good thing or a bad thing because of the way that the game has changed. I mean, I think it's a historical thing, but it has kind of you know changed the the dynamic that the NBA has been. But yeah, I, and it's just we were talking in the Western Conference, you know, Golden State and the Lakers, the two teams that. Maybe you wonder how many more runs they have in them with the with the group that they have right now. You know, Golden State with Curry, Thompson, and Green. The Lakers with LeBron and AD. And now they're going to meet each other. It's it's going to be great. It's going to be an absolutely fascinating. I cannot wait to watch this series. This is this this is going to be one series that I'm going to be glued into. Maybe on no sleep, but uh, I will be paying attention. And speaking of those Lakers, you know, getting past. Memphis, and not only getting past them, but eliminating them with a dominant clinching win. And when we did our NBA preview over on, or when I was with Tom on ETB a couple of weeks ago, I pointed to these two series as series that could be upsets in the makings here. Because again, we talk about those seeds. Like we say how Miami in the Eastern Conference is an eight seed and number only. I could say the same thing about the Lakers and Golden State. And look at what LA did. Now, sometimes timing is everything too, because Memphis has not been the same team since the John, the John Morant. And Morant then in the playoffs does these unbelievable like acrobatic moves and injures himself some more and becomes pretty much a non-factor. You oh have the Dylan Brooks situation with Memphis that's just also taken that also took over that series and just I'm sorry. Out. The Grizzlies absolutely deserved to lose this series. I need to rant about a few things here. Now, don't worry. My bigger rants are coming. I'm keeping those. You're building it up, Hank. You're building it up. But there's a few takeaways I have from this series. Anthony Davis was the big, the reason, the biggest reason why the Lakers won this series, in my opinion. Want proof? Look at the defensive shooting charts of the Memphis Grizzlies in game six. And by the way, I w- is it safe to say that myself and Tom Albano 
owe him an apology for comparing for our little Angela Del Vecchio comment in one of our previous episodes of this show. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sorry. that it, I know it was funny, but, like, for him to have that great of a series, I, I'm willing to, as, as was said at the end of Dirty Dancing, when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. But let me talk about um, Dylan Brooks. I mean, this guy is a clown. I mean, he goes up and, like, talks down to LeBron like he's nothing. Don't ever ever disrespect a legend like that when you're about to play him in a seven game series, because all you are doing is essentially pouring salt fuel, pouring gasoline into the, into his fire. And what does LeBron do? He pretty much plays like typical LeBron James. Oh, but better yet. If this if this were like the only problem I had with Dylan Brooks, then you wouldn't see me going as much into rant mode. However, with that being said, oh boy, after that forty point blowout in Los Angeles, the dude just acts like a sore loser and a big crybaby. Not only does he not shake LeBron James' hand. He goes in, he just straight up goes in the locker room and tries to avoid media responsibility. Hey, Dylan Brooks, I've got a big message for you. Don't start something you can't finish. That's about all I got to say. And apparently it turns out uh, that um, the uh, Grizzlies said uh, that he's not going to be back, back. Well, hey, look, good riddance. If if you're a Grizzlies fan, yeah, you got to be saying good riddance to that clown. Yeah, Shams posted on Tuesday that the Grizzlies. So what did we learn here? Do not talk trash to your opponent if he happens to be one of the NBA legends. Don't start something you can't finish. And last but certainly not least, karma is a bitch. So Shams reported on Tuesday that the Grizzlies informed. Brooks, who's an unrestricted free agent this offseason, that he will not be brought back under any circumstances. And Brooks was told about the Grizzlies' decision to move on in exit meetings with team officials in recent days. And they discussed in exit meetings that it's best for both sides to have a fresh start. That is from Shams over at the at the Athletic. So there you go. So the, the Grizzlies, who... My, you know, have to figure out with what this what's going on with Morant. Maybe going in a very interesting direction here. So that's uh, you're right. You know, it's if you can't back it up, you know that's it's ultimately what's going to happen. So it'll be Lakers, and I'll tell you that's that might be my favorite series of the second round. Late, I mean, they're all great series, but Lakers and Warriors, and I'd love to see that series go seven. Bay Area versus If I had SoCal, to put something on, I, I – what's that? L.A. versus San Fran. You'll love to see it. Well, not only is it Lakers-Warriors, you know, LeBron versus Steph, I mean, that's a series – that's a matchup that we've seen in the postseason a lot. And it's a, it's a mat, it's actually one that has favored Curry a lot more than LeBron, even though LeBron, I think, has outscored Curry. I think he's averaging like seven more points a game or seven or eight more points per game. But Curry is, has eight more wins – in those head-to-head matchups in the playoffs. 
So, I mean, and I, I have to give the Warriors, a, I think, the advantage. I mean, I, I, I think the Lakers, LeBron and AD, you know, the thing is, and I was going to bring this up too, they're healthy. You know, that's the thing. You know, these guys, either whether it's load management or, you know, they have been dealing with injuries, now they're healthy, and that's a great thing to see. But as much as I don't, I don't want to disrespect the Lakers here, but I just think the Warriors have, you know, I was telling people if they got in, and they're they're together. I I think the Warriors are going to go for one more shot. Now, I still believe though. At the end of the day, I think Denver is still the team to beat in the West, and especially with them up two games to none right now over the Suns. And if Nikola Jokic is going to go off for thirty and ten plus ten every game, I mean, how do you stop that? You just had them against the Suns in Game Two. They were able to shut down Jamal Murray, but. Jokic goes for 39 and 16. It's like, you know, and again, you look at the Phoenix Suns, and again, you look at Chris Paul, hurt again in the postseason. So I, I don't see how Phoenix is going to come back and make this a series at all. I, I This this series might get done sooner rather than later. I think the, I even thought before the series had started, I, I had five. Um, can I say, but, can I say one thing? Yeah. The curse of CP3, it is real. I mean, you hate to think it like that, but with all the injuries that he's had in the playoffs, it's it's hard not to. I mean, I feel bad for the guy, but it, I, I had to say it. Yeah, no, that's that's all fair. Yeah, so I think I think the Nuggets get are going to get past the Suns in five. I think it's going to be Lakers and Warriors in seven. I think it's going to be Warriors over the Lakers in seven. So this is their fifth playoff series meeting LeBron and Curry, and Curry leads the best the first four three to one. But I would also wouldn't count out LeBron and AD too. I've said this at the same time. You know they're going to make one more run at this as well. But that's going to be a very fascinating series that got tipped off on Tuesday night over there in in Golden State. But getting back to the East for just a minute here, you know the other series besides you know we talked about Knicks Heat. But Celtics six Sixers. How about this one where Philadelphia won on Monday night, one nineteen one fifteen, without Joel Embiid, and who stepped up? James Harden. So Tyrese talk about clutch. Yeah, I mean, you know, for all the talk about Harden's postseason struggles, I mean, he shut everybody up on Monday night, and now Hank, this is, becomes very very interesting because if Joel, if Embiid does not, let's say he doesn't even play game two, although there was a report from Woj that there seemed to be more optimism about playing game two. If the Sixers, let's just say they win game two, 2-0 going back to Philly, that's a lot of pressure for the Celtics who have not really been under that much pressure at, at all this season. And to me, the Celtics were almost like the Bruins, the clear favorite. See, to me, I thought the Bruins were clear. I mean, the Celtics were a clear favorite more so than the Bucks in the East. But imagine <laughs> them going back to Boston, uh, going back to Philly, down two games to none. This all of a sudden becomes a huge, a must. I'm going to say it here: a must-win game too for the Boston Celtics. That's not a reach. You never want. You're supposed to protect your home court. To choke that way in front of your uh, home fans now. Celtics should consider themselves lucky because after all, it's game one. And after all, a certain tenant of their building did something pretty embarrassing. And don't you worry, 
I am going to make fun of that team. I mean, after all, I may or may not have a blog on them, but we'll get to them later. Stay tuned. Uh, yeah, no, that, that 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 was bad by the Celtics, but I'm not complaining. Yeah, I mean, it just now creates a must-win spot for them. And again, they were doing this without Embiid in game one. When when that was the case, I, 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 I have to tell you, I didn't give the Sixers a chance. And yeah. Harden stepped up, and you know, backup center Paul Reed stepped up also, did well. I mean, that's what you need. So we'll we'll find out here. You know, maybe you got to give uh, Doc Rivers some credit there in Philadelphia because the mm-hmm. Sixers came prepared when nobody. Let's be honest; I don't think anybody really gave him a chance in Game One, and I didn't give him really. I'm not giving them much of a chance in the series, but. Tide turns now. I mean, Boston's in a must-win spot, and it's 2-0 going down, to, going over to Philadelphia. I mean, that's quite some adversity that the Celtics would have to deal with, which they really have not had to deal with a lot in the 2022-2023 season. So you see how fascinating these NBA playoffs are, where the top seed in the East goes down to an eight seed, which has only happened like six times. You've got now all of a sudden the Celtics, who were one of the clear favorites in the East, now down a game already. You've got the Knicks and the Heat, uh, a rivalry of 25 to 30 years. And then in the West, you've got Lakers, Warriors, LeBron versus Steph, AD versus Thompson and and Green. Steve Kerr going for another title. Darvin Ham his first year there with the Lakers. I mean, that series is awesome. Got Nuggets with potential MVP in Jokic, even though I don't think he's going to win it. You know, the, the awards are, were announced on Tuesday. But you've got Jokic and the Nuggets going up against the Suns. You know, this is this is what the NBA needs. They need a product like this. For all the talk, you know, the, the off-the-court stuff or the on-the-court stuff, you know, the possibility that there was going to be a lockout, this is, this is what makes the NBA great are these kind of matchups and these kind of star player star players showing up. This is NBA. This is the NBA that we all know and love. Yeah, I agree. And remember that old slogan where amazing happens? Yeah, and we're seeing it this postseason. No, this is one of the better NBA playoffs I've seen in a while. And we'll find out as they carry on. Of course, they're just dragging on. You know, it's funny. So Knicks and Heat played game two on Tuesday. Game three is not till Saturday. That little drag. Let's wait till you get to the NBA Finals, Hank. It's like three weeks long. Although I do appreciate the NBA for at least trying to cater and care for us early bird risers in moving up the start times of the finals by a half an hour. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's not perfect, but it's better. Yes. So eight thirty, maybe more like eight forty-five, be fine. It's it's better. It's not perfect, but it's better. So that's where we are when it comes to the NBA. And then there's the Stanley Cup playoffs. And again, wow. So, Hank, where do you want to go here first? Do we want to put the Ranger misery out of the way, or do we want to get to one of the biggest upsets in the history of the Stanley Cup playoffs? I have to get the Rangers rant off my chest. That's all fair. Hank, the floor is yours. Maybe I should just, like – Stay out of this picture, and we'll put you on the full screen, and and we'll give you the floor. But no, I'm just kidding. You can. I'll I'll share the screen with you. Go for it. Oh boy, where do I begin, Johnny? 
I'm going to say this right off the bat. And you can tell me all you want that I'm just saying something crazy and irrational in the heat of the moment. You can tell me that I'm the wound is still, still fresh. You can tell me a lot of stuff. But here's my honest-to-God opinion. I have been a Rangers fan since the 2005-2006 season. Here's a laundry list of what I have dealt with. I remember the Rangers getting swept by the Devils in the very first playoff series I have ever watched. They got absolutely boat raced in that series. I can attest that I was there. I remember the 2007 series against Buffalo when Chris Jury tied that game with 7.7 seconds left. Ironically, he became the Rangers the next year. And ironically, because of that moment, ironically, yeah. Um, Fun fact that was actually the last series the Buffalo Sabres won, but I digress. Um, I remember many a time seeing them getting boat raced by the Penguins, although I've also seen some great wins against the Penguins, too. So they kind of cancel each other out. I remember blowing through to one of the Capitals. I remember the whole. I remember the other series against the Capitals two years later when Bruce Boudreaux called out our our fan base and we chanted "Can you hear us?" and then they blew that three goal lead in Game Four of that series. I remember 2010 losing the last game of the regular season and missing the playoffs in the shootout against the Flyers because friggin' Ole Jokinen had to take the shootout. And I remember. Oh, now I'm getting to the good stuff. 2012, 2014, and 2015. The three biggest run, deepest runs in the Lundquist era. Those all stung me. I was even stung last year's series after being up 2-0 against the Lightning. Shit, the 2017 series against Ottawa was pretty bad, too. This was worse. This was by far the worst Rangers playoff loss in my lifetime. And Johnny, I see your expression. But Hank, this was a first round series. Why do you say that? Well, I'll tell you why. Look at the team the Rangers had around them. Chris Kreider, Vincent Trocek. You just you acquired Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko. Mika Zibanejad, and good Lord, Artemi Panarin. I'm going to get to Artemi Panarin. Don't you worry, because good Lord, it's like he turned into Rick Nash on us. How many goals did he score this playoffs? 0.0. And we're paying this guy $11.5 million, and all he does during the playoffs is turn the puck over. What the hell? I'm sorry. That is absolutely unacceptable. And look, if you want to blame Gerard Gallant for the series loss, totally fair. I am not disagreeing. He is a great coach. He's one of the best Rangers coaches of my lifetime. And I'm not saying the Rangers need to fire him, but I am saying that that seat that he's on is going to get warmer. I, in fact, you know I'm a big Gerard Gallant fan. But this is a guy who also has had a bad habit of not adjusting whenever things work out and teams figure him out. This was the same thing that happened 
last year against the Lightning. And it happened again this year against the Devils. And they figured out how to attack the Rangers and the power play. Look what happened. Other than that game six outburst where they scored five, scored five goals, the Rangers only scored a grand total of three goals in the four losses. Three. That, with all the talent that they have on this team, is unacceptable. And Igor, the poor guy has been hung out to dry. Haven't I seen this before with Ranger goalies who seem to do better than the team around him? Henrik Lundqvist never had this much talent around him. We can't even get past the first round. And not to mention, you boat race these guys the first two games. Both identical scores of 5-1 in their building. How does this happen? Make it make sense. But get, And look, the real game that was the turning point, in my opinion, was game three. I mean, yeah, you're up one to nothing, but this is when the power play started to reel, rear its ugly head. This is where controversy started. Uh, Timo Meyer decides to do his best Pete Rose impersonation, and he barrels into Igor Shosturkin. And Igor gets upset, and reasonably so, decides to throw hands. Timo barrels into, into Igor, yet Igor gets the penalty for trying to defend himself. Make it make sense. But guess what? The devil scored on that power play to tie the game. Now, before you think that I'm going to blame the refs for this series loss, absolutely not. Because it's not the refs' fault that the Rangers had a litany of turnovers in that game. It is not the refs' fault that our power play went 0 for 5. And it is certainly not the refs' fault that after blowing out a hated rival in two games on the road, if you want to call it that, because New Jersey, because where the Devils play is technically in the New York, New Jersey, tri-state area. But I digress. You can't take care of home ice in either of the two games. You don't get to complain about the refs because of that one incident in game three. I'm sorry. And for the Rangers to have those missed opportunities early in game seven, I knew right then and there the series was done after Kane just couldn't score on that that goal at the beginning of game seven. And I knew the series was done when they gave up that shorthander and even after the Devils got, got that first goal. I was trying to convince myself, oh, it's not over. They can turn this around. Oh, no. I knew deep down they were dead and 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 you know what the sad part is do you want to know another reason why i'm calling this the worst loss of my lifetime so you want to say worst loss since the lockout post lockout of 0405 correct which is where you were starting at yeah i could i'm just trying to take this all in so go for it 
I could do a top 10 rainy day blog if I really wanted to be a masochist and bang my head against the wall for top 10 biggest what ifs in the not so illustrious near century history of the Rangers. And boy, there are plenty of them. (laughs) This one has to be in the top five because the what if in this case is what if they won this game? You would have had to play a Carolina team that is absolutely banged up. And let me get this out of the way, by the way. They don't stand a chance at hell of beating the Devils. Like, I'm sorry. I I know you're gonna have we're gonna have a little bit of a debate about this with um with another member of the brand later on. They're, they're not beating the Devils. And look, I, I do want to say for the record, I'm not taking anything away from the Devils whatsoever. They were the better team in the series. They were hungrier. They did what they had to do. They made the necessary adjustments. And Lindy Ruff made the right decisions by switching to a young goaltender when Vitek Vanacek was struggling. Good for him. I am, they absolutely deserve this win. The Rangers, with all the talent they had, should have been able to put away the Devils. They did not. And they, the Hurricanes are a team they could have easily mopped the floor with. And you know who else they could have mopped the floor, and who else was left? The Toronto Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers. The road to the playoffs would have gotten significantly better. Because not only would you not have had to worry about the Boston Bruins, who were pretty much the team that you you, you would have had to worry about had you be, gotten to the third round, possibly. That's what everyone's talking about. You wouldn't have had to worry about the Tampa Bay Lightning and their history of lengthy playoff success. But you pissed it away by no-showing Game 7. And now we'll never know what they could have done had they simply won just one of the two home games at Madison Square Garden. And now you have question marks. What's going to happen in the offseason? Because there are a number of free agents. And you know either you know you're not going to be able to keep Tarasenko and Patrick Kane because of salary cap. I don't envy Chris Jury whatsoever. And I don't think the window's closed. I still think they have another opportunity. But at the same time, the Stanley Cup playoffs are the most difficult tournament in all the four major sports to go through. So I don't know how, if you're a Ranger fan, you're not going to feel devastated about this loss. I, I certainly am. And I, again, maybe who knows? The Capitals won in 2018 with a team that seemed to be weaker than the other teams that didn't go as far. And do you want to know the other sad part? This was actually one of my favorite Ranger teams of all time. You didn't have any drama whatsoever. You had such a likable cast, and going to all those games this year and making so many memories was was amazing. And I can get through. I can go on and on about that, but. So, um, I'm still trying to digest all of it. It's just, 
oh, I, I just I think you know the one yeah. thing that you hit on that now I'm starting to believe is when you look at the rest of the Eastern Conference that's left, and you see now it's Devils, Hurricanes, and the Hurricanes basically, like you said, are limping now into the second round. You know, you don't have the Bruins in there. You've got the Panthers and the Maple Leafs, which is a very, very interesting series as well. The road definitely did look favorable. But I think what it comes down to, Hank, is this comes down to two things. Lindy Ruff outcoached Gallant, and the Devils players showed up. Their star players like Jack Hughes and stuff showed up, and the range of big guys did not. Outside of Kreider in the first couple of games, I mean, when you look at when you look at at you know if you want to go by numbers, you know, Terry, but he had four points. He was a minus one. Zabinijad had one goal. was a was a minus one. Panarin had two assists. was a minus two. How many goals did Panarin score again? Zero. The Rangers. So they scored. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. They had 17 goals in the series, and one-third of them were by one player. And half the roster did not score, just about. And let me remind you again, this on paper was the is the deepest Rangers roster I will probably ever see. Um, so I went to... I had a partial season package, like half season package from 2005 to 2013. And I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. You know, that first year was a very special year. That was the year with Yager scoring the 54 goals. Right. I, I remember. Right. He got banged up towards the end of that season and it clearly showed up. And I think the Rangers ran out of gas that year. The Devils were still there. So. There was that, you know, you listed all the negatives and the heartbreaks, but I mean, I think you also have to look at, you know, the, the remarkable ride in some of these teams as well. At the same time, I mean, maybe that's, this is not the right day to be doing this because I know no. you're still very, very upset. No, but, no, 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 okay. no. If you no, want no, me no. to put it in perspective, we can go pre-lockout if you want from 1998 to 2004. Johnny, you're talking about a guy who would do anything to see his own 1994 in his lifetime. Remember, I was negative two when they lost. I, I know that. I know that. I was. I. I was three going on four, and I had I had Nixon Rangers. I was spoiled. Like, do you have any idea how how it's kind of starting to feel a little bit sad when I hear about 1994? Well, because it's thirty years now, like. Like one of my other buddies who I, I was calling, who I called this morning and he called me when I was on the way home. I've talked to him about football many a time. He's a big Jets fan. Mm-hmm. He tells me all the time how sad it is whenever they celebrate the Super Bowl three team. Mm-hmm. This is how I'm well, starting to feel with the Rangers at this point. Like, hey, and like I said, I love that that I've gotten to see great runs, but like at the same time, a successful team is, or a successful era is one that's like marked by a championship. I tend to be 
I tend to agree with Brian. It's hard in that department. Yeah. And you know, they've been to one cup final and that was the one against the Kings, but I mean, they've, they've been consistent in making the playoffs every year, but sooner or later, you know what, you're going to have to take the next step. And this is something you're going to probably bring up when we get to the Bruins. Bruins are going to be a different team next year. So you wonder where the, so you wonder really where the, where the strong point in the Eastern conference is going to be. Could it be the devils? Could they, can they ride this because they've got such a young group of players there like Jack Hughes, maybe Johnny, I'm going to answer that question very, very quickly. Sorry to cut you off. It's okay. And again, you might think I'm saying this because I'm in a, a pissy mood. The Devils are going to make a deep run. I, I there is. I, I here's why I say that. Look, look at the talent they had compared to the Rangers. There's a reason why me and myself and Tom Albano were shitting our pants when it was announced that we were playing the Devils. Mm-hmm. Look who the the Devils killed us because of speed. Yeah. Look at how the Pittsburgh Penguins won back-to-back cups. They did it because of speed. Yeah. And a backup goalie coming in and playing hero. Hmm. Where have I seen that before? Oh, right. The 2016 Penguins with Matt Murray. Oh, right. The 2019 Blues with Jordan Bennington. Oh, and better yet, Cam Ward coming out of nowhere to lead the 2006 Carolina Hurricanes to their only Stanley Cup. Yeah, this one might be a little bit more painful because this happened in the postseason. Bennington, I think, was during the season. So I do get that. But And I'm sorry, but do you want to know why? An- another reason why I'm almost convinced the Devils are going to go on such a deep run and possibly even win the whole thing? Well, I would imagine you look at the rest of the Eastern Conference and are you really confident in any of those? The only one that I would be remotely confident in is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay. That that that's about it. The the Panthers like I I'm sorry, but I still can't fathom how they beat the Bruins. I I really can't. I I I think and I, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that when we get to the Panthers Bruins series. Um well, I mean we can make that yeah, we can make that transition in just a moment. And, and let's talk about that in a minute. Um, Carolina Hurricanes. Like I said, they did nothing at the trade deadline to fix their needs. Best they did was get um, Jesse Puglia-Yarvey from the Edmonton Oilers. And now you're without two of your two really good forwards. Like I said, the Devils use speed as a weapon. They don't stand a chance at hell. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah. I mean, no chance at hell. If you look at that goal they got, they they scored in overtime to beat the Islanders too. That was such a bad goal. How given the hell did Sorokin let that one in? The guy who's in who is one of the favorites for the Vesna. But yeah, I, you know, Rangers off season is going to be fascinating. If I were to take a guess, Hank, I think my money would be on Tarasenko coming back. I think Kane is gone. I would agree. I, as much as I love Patrick Kane, and I've been a fan of Patrick Kane since like he was in Chicago, mm-hmm. I am. I will be the first to tell you that he's he's seen better. He's pretty much seen his best days. Like the only reason we got even got him for that for such a cheap deal was because of his hip. Yeah, and he didn't look right in this series at all. No, kind of didn't. 
I kind of wonder if we're going to find out in the coming days that he was battling something. Oh, th- those come out every single year. And I'm going to, speaking of players battling something, I'm that, that'll be mentioned when I talk about the Bruins. Well, that's where we'll transition into next because obviously, you know, when you talk about, when you look back at the first round of the playoffs, I mean, you have to look at some crazy upsets here. And obviously the biggest one is one of the biggest upsets in the history of the Stanley Cup playoffs. As the Florida Panthers came back, or if you want to say the Bruins choked away, maybe you can say both. But I like to give the I want to give the Panthers some credit because they came back from three games to one down, overcame a they you know they had a, they jumped out to a two nothing lead in Game Seven, saw the Bruins score three unanswered goals, and then in the last minute of Game Seven in regulation they scored to tie it up, and then five minutes into overtime they win it, which is. Again, when you look at the point differential of the two teams from the regular season to this, and you look at everything else, this is one of the biggest upsets in the history of the postseason. And oh, no. Oh, no, Johnny. The biggest. Yeah. I mean. Uh, here's why I say it's the biggest. The Panthers, and pardon the pun, had to scratch and claw their way just to even make the playoffs. Like, there was talk that they, they were behind – the Penguins for much of the season. The Penguins ended up all the bad moves that Ron Hextall made finally caught up to them. And they ended up missing the playoff for the first time since 2006, I want to say. And you look at the Panthers compared to the Boston Bruins. There is no reason on paper that they should have had any shot. The Bruins talent level was you could probably make the case that it was comparable to the 70s Habs. You had a goalie tandem of Ulmark and Swayman. You had, you still had good members of the old guard who were contributing, such as Krejci and Bergeron and Marchand. You had David Pasternak becoming the fifth active player to score 60 goals in a season. And you made a great trade with the Capitals to get Dmitry Orlov and Garnet Hathaway. That should have essentially like established them as invincible. Instead, not only do you blow a three games to one lead, three of the games they lost were on home ice. That's crazy. That's embarrassing. And I'm sorry, but... I'm starting to think that Jim Montgomery, that the Bruins kind of won in spite of him as their head coach, not so much because of him, because he inherited a really good roster from Bruce Cassidy, who, fun fact, Bruce Cassidy won a playoff series this year with the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, Montgomery is not really screwed this series up. Why on earth would you play Linus Olmark when it's obvious he is battling health? He is dealing with injuries. Like, look at the reports that came out. He shouldn't have even, he should not have been playing. That is negligence. Mm -hmm. If the Bruins didn't have that historic season, that could probably get him fired. 
that's a fireable offense. I'm I'm not kidding. It could it and, still could be. And speaking of players with health issues, I feel horrible for Patrice Bergeron. His father is battling cancer. Like, I don't know if you remember, but he wanted to play that last game in Montreal just so that he could play in front of his father, who is very ill. And this is probably going to be his last rodeo because it looks like he may retire after the season because he he took the one-year contract just so he could have another shot at a cup. Yeah. He played that entire playoffs with a herniated disc. That's Ow! And, but you want to know something else? I would also say that this series is karma. Do you remember when it was in the news what the what happened when the Bruins tried to sign Mitch Miller? Recall that Mitch Miller was the player that the Arizona Coyotes drafted, and he was the guy that was um, that was got in trouble when he was a teenager for consistently bullying a young kid who was who not only was black but he also had developmental disabilities. I remember it. The Carol, the Arizona Coyotes had to rescind their draft pick of him because of all those circumstances. He also lost scholarship to play at North Dakota State. The Bruins tried to give him a second chance, thinking, oh, we can get this guy on the cheap. He could help us. Only problem with that is, as much as I love the idea of giving someone a second chance for doing things that are dumb, he didn't exactly show remorse for the way he treated that young kid. In fact, he tried, that kid said that he tried to reach out to him, but he never showed him proof that he had changed his ways. And he did not want to forgive Mitch Miller, and understandably so. And when the boys club of Sweeney and, uh, oh, what's his name? Cam Neely yeah. released him. They tried to claim ignorance and, you know, and say, oh, we didn't know about his character issues. No, you morons. That was widely known and reported when he was drafted. You have, if that were true, then you just, you just admitted that you were stupid. So fast forward months later, Bruins have that historic season. They choke. I'd like to think that that was karma. Could be. Yeah. And just to put a wrapper on this kind of, you know, how we talk about teams winning the president's trophy and how it's really not a lock for success in the playoffs. The last 10 President's Trophy winners, right? Mm-hmm. The Bruins in 2014, out in the second round. The Rangers in 2015, out in the conference finals. The Capitals in 16 and 17, bold. The Nashville Predators in 2018, out in the second round. The Lightning in 2019, out in the first round. Oh, they got swept. Yep, they got swept. swept. Even more so. The Bruins in 2020, second round, out. Avalanche in 2021, out in the second round. The Florida Panthers, last season, out in the second round. And this year, the Boston Bruins, the best regular season in NHL history, out in the first round 
in epic fashion. And guess what? This is a team that has had a history of of choking failures. Just go back, and if you want to look at it with the the 15 years, go back to 2009 when they won 50-plus games and then lost in overtime game seven to the Carolina Hurricanes. And if you want to see a pattern, they've lost a lot of home game sevens. And it seems like the only way that they're not allergic to home game sevens is when they play the Toronto Maple Leafs. Who have had their own thing, but we'll, and we'll get to them in just a moment. Mm -hmm. Let me wrap up this thing with one question. Just just do do a little compare. What, what was worse this or what the Milwaukee Bucks went through against the heat? Yes. Yeah, I mean, yes, easily. It's unusual. It's it's rare in the NBA, but given how dominant the Bruins were in the regular season, and also by the way, here's a fun fact: How many times in the regular season did the Bruins win, lose three games in a row? That's right. They lost three games in a row once this year, and it was in the playoffs, and it was in, in elimination. That just goes to show you sometimes the regular season. As I always say, just get in. Sometimes we've seen that with the Rangers. The Rangers make deep, you know, not to bring it back to the Rangers, but the Rangers have made deeper runs as a lower seed just getting in than they did as a top seed. So just goes to show, you know, if you get hot at the right time, you look at the, the, the Panthers who pretty much outshot and outscored their way. I mean, it wasn't like it was dominant goaltending. It was really just their, their forwards and – did the job and so the Florida Panthers move on and as painful as it was for the Boston Bruins to get eliminated it was equally as joyful for the Toronto Maple Leafs as they won a playoff series for the first time since 2004 and in years past when they've blown big leads whether it's been big leads in playoff games or big series they returned the favor this year Hank in one of their games against the Tampa Bay Lightning, they came back from a, th- a three-goal deficit to win a game. And maybe then you you thought that maybe the tide has changed as the Toronto Maple Leafs win their first series in nearly 20 years, and they move on to the second round. And you and I had spoken at the start of the season that we were not as high on the Tampa Bay Lightning this year as in years past. And I think we've seen it, whether it's been some movement of players or also just the fact that Vasilevsky just was not the same goaltender as he's been in years past, but give Toronto a lot of credit here. It's a great thing that the Maple Leafs are moving on here uh, in the Stanley cup playoffs. Well, I think another factor with the lightning and I talked to Garth about this a lot. He, he lives in Florida. He's a big Tampa Bay lightning fan. He's said on multiple occasions that, the problem with the Lightning this year was that they they did not have as good of a fourth line in years past. They weren't quite as deep. Mm. And I think one of the big – and if you look at a lot of the patterns of moves that uh, Julian Breezebois has made in the past few years for them, he would go out and add that big depth, like even if it would cost him a lot. Like I'll give you an example. Barkley Goodrow, who ironically is down with the Rangers – Yep. He gave up it seemed like he gave up a lot for Goodrow, but they won back to back cups. So even if that's the case, you can't really argue with success there. Blake Coleman from the Devils is another example. And uh Brandon Hagel from the Chicago Blackhawks. And now this year you've got 
this year you had the Tanner, the Juno trade from the National Predators. They gave up a shit ton to get Tanner Juno. However, this time the law of averages may have caught up with them. And he was practically non-existent in the series. And I think the fact that their depth wasn't quite as good, I think that definitely had a factor in it. But with that having been said, I think there was something different about the Leafs because they got a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, who I met, by the way, outside of Madison Square Garden not too long ago. He's a super nice guy. Nice. And he, he's a leader, too. He, he remembered the experience he had with the St. Louis Blues was very valuable. And I really would have loved to have him as a New York Ranger, by the way. But he was he proved to be a really good acquisition for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And now you finally got a playoff series win for guys like Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and William Nylander, all of whom were practically in elementary school the last time. The Leafs even won a playoff series. And by the way, do you want to know an even a, a really crazy fact? Sheldon Keefe, the head coach of the Leafs, is the only living Leafs coach to have won a playoff series. Wow. Yeah. That's an amazing fact. I know you were talking to me about that in our pre-show. Uh, so pretty, um, pretty, um, pretty great ride there by the Leafs. So, uh, in the so in the Eastern Conference, you're going to have Maple Leafs and, and Panthers, and Hurricanes, Devils, and then just to real quick about the Western Conference, you've got the Golden Knights and the Oilers, and you've got the Seattle Kraken and the Dallas Stars. And how about the Kraken, real quick, taking out the defending Cup champion Avalanche? I, here's the thing about that series. That was a really weird one because. The Avalanche really had a lot of bad breaks. I mean, due to injuries and whatnot, because they lost Gabriel Landeskog for the season and very possibly his career. Like, I don't want to get fully into it, but look how severe his he was playing with a severe injury for the past few years and a half. He might he might very well be done. And if that's the case, that's a very tough blow losing your team leader. They also they also lost some of their key guys from last year to the salary cap tax, which which was pretty much expected. Every team goes through that. And then you had Kale McCarr miraculously only getting a one-game suspension for a dirty hit that he had. And if you look at the Seattle Kraken, they were a sneaky deep team. Even with Jared McCann getting injured on the Kale McCarr hit, they still got a goal from so many of their players. Only not too many of them had, had multiple goals. They really won this series because they had a lot of depth. But I think the bigger reason as to why Seattle won their first playoff series ever was not just because of the depth that they had from a lot of unsung heroes. Because remember, Matty Beneers was their star player. He didn't even have a great series. Philip Grubauer stole the show. And isn't that amazing, Susan, that Philip Grubauer was a goalie who just a year ago and for most of the season was pretty much Swiss cheese as in he couldn't stop a goal to save the puck to save his life. And this was the same guy that Colorado lost a couple years ago to the expansion draft. Mm-hmm. He goes out and, you know, gets some payback on his old team. So I think that was another like big storyline for the Kraken and not to mention the Colorado avalanche, just like the Boston Bruins lost three home games. Yeah. And Hank, I'll even, 
just to wrap up the first round discussion here, here's an amazing fact. This was we talked about the road teams how winning these games. Visiting teams went 31 and 19 to set an NHL record for most road wins in a single round. Mm-hmm. Six of the eight series were clinched on the road. Mm-hmm. And game seven on the road. Sometimes when you have these kind of even matchups, venue doesn't matter. And I, and I think in the NHL, with the amount of parity that are, there is in the league, the home ice maybe not does not mean as much as, you know, we say yeah, home court is a huge deal. Ultimately, talent is a big thing. Of course, just don't tell the Bucks that. But you've got that, you know, Stanley, uh, NFL, single elimination, MLB, kind of the same thing. You know what? Pitching ultimately does it. You never know. Hitting, I mean, it's – we're overlooked. We're looking at the home court, home ice, home field, what whatever you want to say. And it maybe doesn't mean as much as it has before. By the way, do you want to know another fun fact? Sure. The Carolina Hurricanes last won a cup in 2006. Yep. They have the most recent cup out of all the teams left playing in the playoffs. Wow. That's, that is amazing. That's right. Yeah. I mean, because you've got the Kraken and the, Golden Knights, who obviously have not won one yet. By the way, that would be an awesome Western Conference final if that could be. Oh, I don't think it's going to be, though. Actually, I think it's going to be well, the actually, other way. you want to talk about a really epic series. And I was talking about with, this with Jennifer, too. We, are, we both really are going to be excited to watch the Dallas versus Seattle series. That one's going to go the full seven. Yeah. I, I really, I'm really convinced of that. Yeah. See, I have it though the other way. I think it's going to be the Oilers and the Stars Oilers. in the West. Oh, okay. Well, I, I mean, the Oilers. I, and... I think Dallas is going to probably end up winning that series, and ultimately, I think Dallas might be. Dallas is another team that's sneaky good, by the way. I agree with you. Yep. I think Dallas might come out of it in the West, but it, I would say it's going to come down to either Dallas and Edmonton. I, I happen to agree with you, but with that having well, been said, I could I would not be surprised if Vegas somehow pulled it off against Edmonton. I, that's yeah. I just I my Edmonton was my my team in the West all season. I'm going to continue to ride with them until they give me a reason not to. So I, I have that, and in the East, I'm taking the Maple Leafs over the Panthers, and I am going with the New Jersey Devils over the, the Hurricanes. And Hank, it's exactly the reason you just said. I think the Hurricanes are banged up. I think the Devils are fast. You know their their youth is a big deal. You. Just wonder, can Schmidt continue this ride in the playoffs? But I think against this kind of Carolina team, which is limping its way down a stretch here, I think he can. So that's what I'm going to go with here in the second round. But you know what? These playoffs in both the winter sports, the NBA and the NHL, have been absolutely fascinating to watch. Um, one one of our teams is still going on. Hopefully continues to make a deep run. The other one, unfortunately, is out. Um, but – Nevertheless, I mean, if you like sports, if you like action, I mean, I know people that are not even hockey fans down here in South Carolina. You know what? They watch it this time of the year because it is just that wild and that wide open. So we'll see what happens here as the playoffs go on. Um, And obviously, you know, football season continues to get closer and closer. And baseball season, we're a month in. Um, We were going to talk about the Yankees today, but 
I got to tell you, it's. I is think it really been... worth it, Johnny? There, that there's a reason why I haven't really been watching many Yankee games, and I'll save that Yankee rant for another day. Well, I will tell you what. When we get to Memorial Day, I always say the Memorial Day is like the first checkpoint of the Major League Baseball season. And look, the first month of the year in baseball, you do have some great stories. You have the Pirates, the Rays. Those are great stories. But I think the best thing to do when it comes to baseball is check back in about Memorial Day and see where your teams are at and go from there. That's that's really it because, you know, it's, it's such a long season and, you know, things can change in an instant. So we will definitely touch on baseball on the field the month mm-hmm. of May and into the summertime as well. And so that's what you have to look forward to. But while we have these great playoff runs happening in both winter sports, we will definitely be diving that in each and every week. And of course, football seems to never take a week off. You know, that's it's become the 24-7, 365 a year of sports. So you know we'll be on top of that. You know, I like horse racing. You've got the Kentucky Derby happening this weekend. So if we have another crate, we may touch on that next week as well. So stay tuned for that. But that's going to put a wrap on episode 52 of Game On. Look at that. Nice, no, nice long show once again. Not the four and a half hours that we did for the live stream of the NFL draft, but nevertheless, a nice show with a with a little bit of everything. So, uh, you know, good way to top out the CC Sabathia episode. That's absolutely right. Yes. Or, you know, David, if you want to go back to 96, David Weathers, or if you want to go to, you know, 03, Jose Contreras. Yeah. Uh. But. We'll, we'll keep it at CC. But if you like today's episode, folks, leave us a like. If you're new to the Empty the Bench podcast network, hit that subscribe button. And, of course, have your notifications set so you know when all of our programming is going to be coming out. You'll have uh, Nick and Tom back together on Thursday for Empty the Bench at 3 p.m. Of course, check out Tom and Zan over there at the MMA Outsiders, which actually preceded us again this week. Where we should be back on Tuesday next week. But again, have your notifications set and follow us on social media at game on ETB on Facebook and Twitter and game on underscore ECB on Instagram. So, you know, when we're going to be back, but we should be back next Tuesday at 7 PM. And of course, you know, you got Hank and Jen with their show, which I will actually, which I'm actually on. So check that out as well on social media. We'll put that out there as well. And all of our great content here on the empty the bench podcast network. So folks for Hank and Dick there, I'm Johnny Montabano. Enjoy your week, everybody. Enjoy the the baseball. Enjoy the Stanley Cup playoffs. Enjoy the NBA playoffs. The Kentucky Dirt, good stuff. And we'll catch you again next week.